WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. By 2050, the population in the African continent will double and food demand will triple. Crop production systems need to be examined from an interconnected new perspective. Today we're here to talk to Lynn Liu about her research. Lynn, can you please tell us about what you study? Hello, everybody, and thank you, Chelsea and Daniel, for having me on the show today. I am in a dual major PhD program with the Department of Earth and the Environmental Science and Policy program. I have conducted agricultural research and development projects under supervision of Dr. Bruno Basso during my master and PhD program, so for about seven years. Thanks for joining us, and it's really nice to meet you, Lynn. You're studying two degrees that have a focus on environmental science. What do you focus your research on within these two doctoral programs? My degree has heavily emphasized the environmental aspect, but specifically, I study the agriculture, particularly for the small fields in Africa and Central America. The main theme for my research is to address this grand challenge of feeding the future from an agricultural systems perspective. I like that you're looking at this from an agricultural aspect in small fields in Africa and Central America. Why are you specifically focusing on small fields and in those regions? Globally, there are 570 million farms, and about 84% of those farms are small fields. And by small, I meant fields that are less than four acres. So just to give a comparison, in U.S., the average farm size is more than 400 acres. But for fields in Africa and Central America, that's less than four acres. And in Africa and Central America, currently, the fields are underproduced. So in order to feed the future population, we really need to find a way to improve their yield. I never truly understood how many farms there were on the planet before you gave us that stat. And even more interesting is how 80% of these farms are actually considered small farms. I guess that's a big misconception that a lot of our crops are produced on large-scale farms. Do these small farms all follow a general system, or do they differ across the regions of the world? Depends on where you're located, the farm might look differently. So, for example, in the Midwest, we have a very famous corn belt because corn grows very well with things for the soil and climate. But if you're located in Ghana, for example, in west part of Africa, then you're located in something called a yam belt. So what you grow globally might look differently. But essentially, those agricultural systems all have four different components. And those four components are very much interconnected. So those four components are the weather, what kind of precipitation you're getting, what kind of temperature are you getting, and soil, how good is your soil. And of course, crop, what kind of crop are you planting? Either it's, it's corn, it's soybean, wheat, it's yam or pigeon pea. And then one of those very important is the management. How do you manage this piece of land? Do you want to plow it? Do you want to apply fertilizer? So they can look differently, but they all have the force interconnected pieces. Those factors make sense to me because the climate and the environment that it's growing in can have a lot of effect on the crop that's being grown. 
You had mentioned that you were studying small fields in Africa and Central America. Are you looking at a specific region in Africa and Central America? And are you looking at a specific crop? All the crops I have studied is either a stable crop or a legume crops. So by stable crop, those are the crops that we, we eat as a food and we can store it somewhere. So for example, for vegetables, those are not stable food because it's very difficult to store tomatoes, for example, or lettuce. But it's much easier if you save the corn and then store it somewhere and then you can go trade. So in my dissertation, I focus on corn for Tanzania. Yam for Ghana, and for Honduras in Central America, I looked into beans, and it's a legume crop. And for the legume crops, the plants that can take nitrogen in the atmosphere and then convert it into soil nitrogen for other plants to use. Well, these are three really different crops that you're studying in these regions of Central America and Africa. How do you study these agricultural systems? Do you physically go there and interact with the farmers and politicians, or do you gather samples of the crops and soil and bring them back to study in a laboratory? I am going to step back a little bit to answer this question. Earlier, I mentioned about the four components of agricultural systems, weather, soil, crop, and management. In my research, I use a crop model called SANLUS, and SANLUS is an acronym. It stands for Systems Approach to Land Use Sustainability, and this model is process-based. What this really means is when we study the agricultural systems, we're not just interested in relationship between one variable with another. So, for example, we all know for a crop to grow, it needs rainfall. And it's very easy to conclude the more rains, the better the yield would be. But that's not necessarily the case. From a process standpoint of view, what we need to consider is when it rains, how the process in the soil would affect the crop to uptake this water that's available in the soil. For example, if there's a storm event, but the crop is growing in a very sandy soil, so no matter how much it rains, it always drains, and it's not going to help the crop. This Sanlus model specifically considers such interactions among weather, soil, crop, and management. And I use this model to evaluate how the management, the weather, and the soil have an impact on the crop performance. To answer the second part of the question, I do need a lot of field observations to run the model and also to make sure the model can represent the site that I am studying. So for the field observation, I could go into the field and then connect the data I need to first make sure my model works. But for my dissertation research in Africa, it is much constrained both logistically and in terms of the distance between here and Africa continent. In that case, we had to be creative and be collaborative. I like the example of a lot of water in the soil because I come from Miami, Florida, where it's raining all the time. And sometimes you just see a lot of puddles just there in the grass. And you know at that point that it really just is too much water for the plants. However, in Africa, with the very sandy soils, it'll drain and then it wouldn't even help the crop if it rains a lot. 
With your crop simulations, are you focusing specifically on water uptake in the soil or are you looking at different factors? For the crop simulation models, we always consider more than just water. We focus on processes that related to soil, carbon, nitrogen, phosphorus, and we also focus on how the management and the crop and the environment affects such water and nutrient cycling processes. That makes sense to me that you would need all of these different parameters to accurately make predictions with your model. You highlighted this a little earlier in your interview about how difficult it is to collect information from Africa due to the distance and travel involved just to get there. What are you doing to bypass this barrier to collect your information? One project I was involved in was to develop a new corn yield forecasting system for the country Tanzania in East Africa using the San Luis model. And to overcome that challenge of the distance and logistic, we were in collaboration with the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization and the government of Tanzania by predicting corn yield one or two months ahead of time. For example, right now we're in August. A corn yield forecast would mean tell me the corn yield in September. So we're interested is the, in a shorter time frame, how much corn yield are we expecting? And we're doing it uh, for Tanzania. I think it's amazing that the Salus model is able to help you predict a crop yield one to two months ahead of time. I can see why the UN of Tanzania would be interested in this. How did they collaborate with you and help you overcome distance and logistics? Did they, for example, maybe send you samples of their crops? Well, the UN did not contact me. Initially, the Food and Agriculture Organization of the UN was interested in helping the country Tanzania because they didn't have an accurate corn yield forecasting system. And my advisor, Dr. Bruno Basso, was contacted to help the country to build a new system. So he came up with the idea that if we can know the input to drive the Salus model, then we would be able to predict the yield. But in order to use the Salus model, we will need to know the input, which are the four components of the agricultural systems, the way the soil, the crop, and the management. We collaborated with both the Food and Agriculture Organization and the government of Tanzania to design a survey. We can have an idea of how the agricultural system looks like across the ocean. In this survey, we asked different questions regarding each component of the agricultural system. For weather, we asked if it's hotter than normal or maybe it's wetter than normal. And then for the crop, we asked what kind of crop it is in that field. It could be just corn. It could be corn with banana, for example, or corn with pigeon pea. We also asked about management, how the crop is managed. We wanted to know if it is fertilized or irrigated. We also wanted to know when the crop is planted and how it is planted and how many plants are there in a field. We wanted to know this information because we need to use that information to run the model in order to get the output, which is the yield. As I explained earlier, we're interested is to provide this yield forecast about one to two months ahead of time. 
This survey is actually coded in a software called Survey Solution, and that is developed by World Bank. Once it's coded in the software, we trained the enumerators in collaboration with the government. They got the enumerators to a smart device tablet with the interviews already embedded in this tablet, and then they go to a field. Then they do the interview with the local farmers because this is a timely corn yield forecasts. Once the interview was complete, it was synced to a cloud storage, and I was able to receive the information. The moment it was completed, while I was in the U.S., once I have this piece of information, I was able to use the Sandus model to predict corn yield, and then I submitted the corn yield forecast to the government and the UN Food and Agriculture Organization. This process sounds incredibly complicated to navigate just to obtain your input data. I'm curious about how well is this model able to predict the yield forecast for these crops based off of this information? Has it been proven to work for past data, and has it already been used to make predictions for today? Crop simulation model indeed is incredibly complicated because it considers all the processes that's happening from planting to maturity. In general, when we use a crop simulation model, we want to make sure it represents the field we're studying. And this process of fine-tuning the crop simulation model is called calibration. And then once it's calibrated, you want to use a different dataset to make sure it also matches with the observations, and that's called validation. Once it's validated, we would believe the model can represent what's going on with the field. So in general, the model would be able to predict with confidence. For my specific project, it was able to accurately provide yield prediction fourteen to seventy-seven days ahead of maturity. Fourteen to seventy-seven days ahead of maturity is quite impressive. Now we've been discussing a lot about your research in Africa, but we haven't really touched upon your research in Honduras and Central America with these legume crops. For example, I recall that you had said that the legume crops had to do with nitrogen to be converted into the soil for future plants to be able to use it. However, there's probably limitations for these field observations because they're in low-income areas. How do you overcome this obstacle if you don't have the data? When it comes to agricultural research, it's very challenging and rewarding to work on agricultural development for low-income countries. And yes, you're right, Chelsea. That there's a limited data from low or low to middle income countries. For Honduras, I was interested in the legume crops, specifically beans, because beans were the most widely cultivated legume crops. I am not sure if I have a full solution to the data limitation. One way to do it is to first identify a big region that might have beans that's growing, and that can be done on global crop land type dataset. The other way to overcome that is to look into remote sensing dataset, but that also has limitations. Different satellite images have different resolution. For example, for the Landsat, the resolution is thirty meter. We have to keep in mind the fields in low or low to middle income countries are very small. 
a 30 by 30 meter pixel might cover the entire field. So we really need to look into a much finer resolution satellite images. The other options we have is the micro satellite images. The Planescope offers 3 meter resolution at an almost daily frequency. That can help to have a sense of how beans are growing in Honduras. You're working with these different satellites, and it's almost in like a reverse astronomy kind of way, where you're using our own satellites to take images of the Earth with high resolution. What do you use these satellites specifically for, and how does it play a role in your research? For the very high-resolution satellite images, I use it to understand how crop look differently in different locations. For the 3-meter resolution images, I was able to use it to understand such variation for the cornfield in Tanzania. In terms of field variation, you might be aware when you drive by a cornfield and you see they don't look the same. It could be the terrain. It could be it's just simply by the road. The crop is not looking as good as the ones that's toward the center of a field. Similar situation also happens in this very small field in Tanzania. The microsatellite images can tell how different they look through the images. It's fortunate for you that you're able to gather data about the area without even being there. As of now, we've discussed your research in Tanzania with corn crops, though we haven't discussed your research in Ghana in regards to the yam crops. Most of us know that yams are grown underground, and I see that's a big difference between the other two crops that you were also studying. Can you tell us more about this research that you did in Ghana with the yam crops? Yam is a tuber crop, and it's very different from corn, and it's actually a least studied crop in the literature. I was interested in yam because a very good colleague of mine, Eric Uwasudankwa, approached my advisor and myself that they had a research center in Ghana helping with the farmers to grow yam more sustainably. So in this project, our goal was to come up with management that can help to grow sustainably in Ghana. In order to do that, I use the CELUS model and the field observations that's connected by my colleague and his team. I first calibrated and validated the model and made sure it was able to represent this tuber crop in the tropical area. Then I tested different management and see how that would affect the yield of yam. Currently, yam is growing under shifting agriculture. And shifting agriculture just means you first clear-cut a piece of land. It could be a forest. And then you grow yam for 10 years at a time until the soil is depleted with nutrient. Then you move on to a different piece of land. So you can see how this practice does not help yam to grow over time because the nutrient would be depleted in 10 years. And also, it's not sustainable for tropical region. We do not want to clear-cut a piece of land, particularly a forest. So in my study, we tested how the pigeon pea, which is a legume crop, would help the yam. Instead of testing using field experiment, that's going to be expensive and takes a long time and may not be replicated for a different location. 
we use the Sanus model to run the computational experiments and use the results to help with farming decision makings. In this project, we have concluded that adding PGMP residue to yam fields would help with yam tuber yield and also with soil carbon. That's so interesting that you were able to make that connection about adding pigeon pea residues to yam fields and how it can improve yam yields. It really shows how much your model can provide recommendations to improve crop yields in general. Like you said earlier, you just defended your dissertation. How does it feel to have just defended, and what do you plan to do after you graduate with your PhD? I feel very proud of myself and the work I did. I have been very fortunate to have many groups of supportive colleagues who inspire me to do impactful science. The work I do, I am interested in advancing the society using the science I do. I accepted a position at University of Minnesota to collaborate with the Soil Health Partnership. In this postdoctoral researcher role, I hope to contribute to improving the yields and soil quality of our Midwest farms through soil health practices. That's great, Lynn. Thanks a lot for being on the Sci-Files, and good luck on your postdoc. Thank you for having me. The Sci-Files is hosted by Chelsea Voodoo and Daniel Puentes on Impact 89FM. Thank you to our news director, Taylor Halterman, program director, Amber Konutsky, Station Manager Joe Dandrin and General Manager Jeremy Whiting. The SciFiles can be found online on SciFiles.org and on your favorite podcast directory. If you're an MSU student and want to be featured on SciFiles, or if you have any questions, you can contact us at SciFiles at impact89fm.org. Thanks for listening, and remember, the truth is in the science. <laughs>